this is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I talk with Michael Brandvold from the Three Sides of the Coin podcast. We talk in depth about his podcast, and of course, we talk a lot of Kiss. And to cap the whole thing off, we talk the best and worst non-makeup looks for the band. Also, have you seen me and my buddies covering I from The Elder? You should definitely watch it. I posted a link in the description below. Well, now it's time to hear from Michael. Check it out. Well, Michael, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Great, great. Uh, how's things going over on the three sides of the coin? You guys staying busy? Oh, we're always busy. We're always stirring the pot. We're always pissing off people. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. What year, man, did this whole Kiss Obsession start for you? When did it all start? Uh, back in 1976, I think it was. I can't remember which came first. I either saw them on the Paul Lind Halloween special or my mom got me rock and roll over as part of her RCA record club. That kind of all happened at the same time. So far so far back that I don't remember specifically what happened first, but I, I just I do remember the Paul Lind Halloween special and just laying there watching that with my jaw dropped to the floor going, My God, what am I what am I seeing here live on T V? Right. Yeah, I mean, that was like rock and roll superheroes uh, for for kids of the seventies for sure. Yeah, I mean that was my that was my Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show moment was <laughs> Kiss on the Paul Lynn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's weird that you know I'm a I'm 45, so for for me it was like I think I got into Kiss around Asylum uh, in '86, and obviously you know I backtracked and, and became a Kiss nut. But you know maybe seeing Tears Are Falling isn't as cool as seeing you know Paul Lynn. You know exactly, exactly. I mean. You got to remember, in 1976, there was no internet, there was no YouTube. There's, you know, you barely got to see Kiss live, and I mean, it was just, it was an era where that what Kiss was doing was just unheard of before. I mean, it, it's nothing new today, but back in the mid 70s, your mind just exploded of like, I, I can't take this in. What is this? These guys are monsters and superheroes and breathing fire in in the 70s it was just mind-blowing to be a you know 10 12 year old kid and to see that it, you'd never experienced it before yeah it was it was definitely over the top and crazy and, and speaking of over the top and crazy uh i mean there's a lot of fandom i mean that you guys deal with over on your podcast what do you think do you think there's some fans out there that take it to a unhealthy level is there no unhealthy level what do you think yes and it's not just kiss fans every every artist has got a fandom very similar but yeah fans can get a little carried away they can go a little too far you know they they want to judge their worth as a fan versus everybody else oh i'm a bigger and better fan than you are i'm a real fan you're a fake fan uh, you know i i i don't i don't like any of that stuff mm -hmm. because everybody's a fan in my book it, right it, it's not judged by how many shows you've seen how much money you've spent how many albums you own how long have you been a fan none of that matters if you like a band and you like their music you're a fan Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people 
especially when you're talking Kiss, you know, a lot of people weren't even born in the 70s. So how could, how can you fault them for not experiencing what the 70s was? They, they first got exposed to Kiss in the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. They're just as important when it comes to fandom. And, you know, I just think in general, fans need to, need to respect other fans more. Mm-hmm. We're all, you know, I mean, we're all fans. We all want our band to be big and popular. At the, at the end of the day, we're fighting for the same cause, right? I, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> with your podcast, you guys know, like you've said, you, you, you kind of have pissed off some people you know, along the way. Are there some people, let's say, obviously you, you probably get trolls. I, I know we see that stuff on Twitter and all that. Uh, what about enemies? You guys have some enemies out there. Are there are there people associated with a with Kiss that like want nothing to do with you guys? Who's out there? I, I'm sure there are. We honestly don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. We you know we do what we want to do. We be on, we're honest in what we say, and if somebody doesn't like it, then that's their problem, not our problem. Um, you know. Honestly, you know, we we just don't worry ourselves over that. I mean, if you are doing anything in this world creatively, meaning a podcast, an album, a book, there's going to be a lot of people that don't like what you do. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, right from the get-go, I knew we can't please every listener. And if you try and please one listener... You're going to make somebody else unhappy when you make that change to make somebody else happy. So at the end of the day, as podcasters, all we can do is make sure we're happy. Yeah. So that we record a show that we like, the the three, four of us who are recording. If we like it, that's all that matters because, you know, and, and this is this is something similar for bands. I mean, when it comes to recording an album, a band can't make an album that's going to make every fan happy. And if you try, it's going to fail. It's guaranteed. If you try and make an album that you think is going to please everybody, it will fail. So create something that you love, that you're proud of, because it's your name that's going to be on whatever you created forever. So, you know, we, we record a podcast episode. It's our name on it. It's not a listener's name. We got to live with it. So, I don't want to create something that I'm like, oh, well, that really sucked. But we did it because so-and-so likes it better this way. Nope. You know, we are 100% going to do whatever we want. And we hope everybody or the majority of people like it. But we know it's not going to be the case. And we're not beating ourselves up that, you know, we get a handful of people who complain and cry that it sucked, that it was terrible. It's like, hey. Whatever. If you don't like it, you don't like it. We like it. And frankly, for every bad comment we get from somebody, there's equally, if not more, positive comments. So, you know, I look at that as sort of the sign of success. I love the quote, the secret to success is to offend the greatest number of people. (laughs) And, you know, if, if you're pissing off somebody just by being yourself, you must be doing something right because... They care about you. Mm-hmm. You know, what What was what, what would Gene and Paul always say? Love us or hate us? We don't care. Just spell our name right. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. 
I don't care. I mean, yeah, I'd love it if more people love us and hate us, but if you're listening to us because you hate us, you're still listening to us. <laughs> right. That's for sure, man. So you guys have been doing this for like 10 years. Are there still more uh, KISS myths that you have to uncover, or have you figured it all out? What, what's left to discover in the world of KISS? God, you know, I mean, it's funny. You know, we started this December of 2012, so not quite 10 years ago yet. And it's pretty much been weekly for almost 10 years. I mean, we're, I think we just recorded episode 400, and I don't remember what it was, 470-something. Wow. Um, we, we laugh. We're like, good Lord, is there really that much stuff about KISS? Talk about week after week after week. And I got to tell you, there are some weeks where we sit down and go, I don't know, there's nothing to <laughs> talk about. We're, just, we're blank. Somehow something comes up. A conversation just starts and it rolls. But then, you know, we, we're, we're in those moments and all of a sudden Kiss does something and we're like, fuck, we got to talk about it. So, you know, we just, we kind of just wing it. I mean, honestly, we wing it week after week after week. Sometimes we go in with a topic. Sometimes we've got a guest. Sometimes, you know, a guest drops out at the last minute and we're sitting there hitting the record button. I'm going, ah, we got no topic, guys. Let's just start talking and see where it goes. And that's actually some of the coolest stuff because, you know, when you get together with your buddies and talk about your favorite band or your favorite style of music, you know, you can start talking and then four hours later you're like, Jesus, we're still talking. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, I've got, I've got a couple of that I want to throw out there that I'm still trying to figure out is uh, this comes up on your podcast and it comes up in a lot of forums is are these pictures of the first night of the Creatures of the Night Tour. I saw your podcast where, where Mark asked Gene. Gene had no recollection. Do you think pictures of this will ever surface? Um, any, you know what? I mean, it, it sounds stupid and cliche, but anything's possible. I mean, the, the, the one thing we're sort of seeing more and more of now is somebody who's like cleaning out their parents' storage lockers, you know, emptying boxes and they find all these photos that they never knew they had. You know, it seems like that first night on the Creatures of the Night tour has been confirmed to have happened. Mm -hmm. The wardrobe person says it happened, but yeah, we've never found photos of it which is hard to believe that there wasn't a professional photographer taking photos. It's hard to believe that Gene and Paul don't have memories of this. I seem to think it happened, and yeah, maybe sometime somebody will be cleaning out a boulder somewhere and go, what the hell is this? And there you go. There's, there's some slides that somebody took of that first night that, that we've never seen before. Especially since, you know, a lot of these small towns, it was like a big event if KISS was there, especially starting their tour. A lot of times local news, I mean, you could YouTube and check out all kinds of clips of local news uh, showing KISS. I just can't believe there's not either a, a press clipping, a, a photo, or a, a news clip of this. I can't believe it. You know, it is hard to believe, but it's also quite possible that if they knew at the last minute that they had to change their costumes and it was going to look kind of haphazard and thrown together, they might have revoked all of the press photographers yeah. who were going to be at the show because they didn't want photos of them not looking great. Yep. So, I mean, you know, that's entirely possible, but 
I, I don't know. I'd like to think at some point we'll find something somewhere. Yeah, I, I hope so. Let me hit you with this one. Here's another weird one. This one isn't a, isn't a mystery. It's just something that drives me crazy. So Gene comes out, or Kiss comes out, 1996 reunion. You know, Gene's got his Love Gun costume, and it's you know, it's built up a little higher maybe to, to cover the gut. And then at a certain point, he loads in this row of studs that don't match the other studs. And uh, that drives me crazy. You, you know what I'm talking about? Why did, the, why did he do that, I wonder? I don't know specifically what you're talking about, but I do know that having after working with them and getting to know people who did their costumes in in, in this recent time costumes were constantly evolving mm-hmm. and, and and i think we're actually even learning that back in the 70s where all of a sudden you'd see a photo where it's like oh wait a second that's a little different than the night before and you know they're especially jeans they're evolving for comfort and usability it's like oh my okay you know we change from this type of plastic or stud to this because it makes it lighter. It makes it more maneuverable. Can lift his arms more. Right, um, right. That 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 sort of stuff was constantly going on, and you know, to us fans, that's great minutia of like, oh my god, why did he change from that to that? Right. The snap, the snap moved, and you know, but you know, it could literally because something broke the night before and all they had to fix it with was was this other piece and mm-hmm. they had to get i mean costumes those costumes get beat up beat up yeah. especially jeans oh yeah yeah and and you know they're constantly fixing them repairing them updating them changing things on them to make them more durable more comfortable you know they're they're somebody could literally write an entire book just on sort of all of the evolutions and the changes in the costumes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I played in a Kiss tribute like around in 95, and those studs that were on the Love Gun suit were super, super hard to come by. So that in my mind, I always wondered if maybe they they had trouble finding more to build it up higher, so then they just used some random stud that didn't match. But I just remember back pre-internet, those studs were, were super hard to find. Yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 it's all very challenging. How about this one, Mike? Let me throw this one Yeah. So, obviously, I, I think you guys have, have, have reviewed this, but when you look at the A&E uh, history, one thing that drove me crazy about this is that when they sh- have Ace and Peter's uh, outlook on here, they never... They never show them. It's all audio. And we all know there's tons and tons of video footage of these guys, you know, from the VH1 archives and all this kind of stuff. Why do you think they only ran audio and no video of these guys? Um, No idea. No idea. I mean, a lot of it, frankly, can come down to just who's got who's got the rights to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, does somebody else own the video rights versus an audio right? Does it cost more or less? I mean that that's that's one of the big misconceptions that Kiss fans have, but this applies to every band. You know, fans seem to think a band owns all of the video that's ever been filmed. You know, if they were on a TV show, they own the video. If they did a uh, an appearance somewhere, an interview, they own the video. Well, the reality is they don't. Mm-hmm. They don't own it. They 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 gave somebody the permission to do this and use it but that person who filmed it owns the video owns the audio 
Now, they may not be able to release it commercially and sell it, but that also means the artist, Kiss, can't just go, oh, let me take that, that interview we did for CBS 20 years ago, and we're going to put it on our DVD and sell it, because they don't own it. And same goes with photos. So many photos, photographers own them. Right. And they've got to right. get the rest. They've got to get them cleared by the photographer. And that, you know, that, that's just one of the biggest misconceptions fans have about all their bands is they just like, and you know, it's sort of like the old, the vault mystique. Oh, every band's got a vault. Well, there's no, there's no vault. There might be a, a closet somewhere that crap is thrown in, but <laughs> doesn't mean they own everything that's in there. It just means they've, they've collected and they've gathered this stuff, but if they ever wanted to release it commercially, they have to get somebody else's clearance to do that. Right. What do uh, what do Paul and Gene think of what you do? Do you know what they think of uh, the podcast? Do you, or do you think they have any thoughts on what you do? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I know they're they're aware of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I know at some point in time they've listened to some of it, all of it. They're well aware of what we're doing. They've never given us any directions one way or another to mm-hmm. say do this, don't do that. You know that that that's one of the big misconceptions in the the KISS podcast fan world is people think, you know, Gene and Paul are paying us. I I wish they were paying us. (laughs) But, you know, I'd love to make money doing this, but no, they don't pay us, but they've also never given us, you know, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't talk about that. Please talk about it. They've never given us any directions. And, you know, we, we actually have just always operated under doesn't matter to us if they listen or they like or they don't like it i mean we are just always going to be honest in our opinion and and that's the big thing about our podcast it's literally just an opinion show we're not giving facts Mm -hmm. it's 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 our opinions on an album on a tour on a show and nobody has to have the same opinion at us as us and we don't care you should think differently you know so I think they appreciate the honesty. I would hope they appreciate our honesty when we say things. We definitely are not just deliberately kissing their butt. I mean, we've done shows where we've definitely criticized them. I mm-hmm. mean, I think the only people we've never criticized are like Tommy Thayer, Eric Singer, Bruce Kulick. Because those guys have never done anything to be criticized for. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just... They're, they're just nice guys. I mean, we've criticized Paul. We've criticized Gene. We've criticized Kiss as a whole. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're Kiss fans, and we've always loved Kiss regardless of who was in the band. Some of it we like better. Some of it we like worse. We're just standing by what we think, and we're saying what we think. And, again, I'd like to think they appreciate that honesty that we aren't deliberately saying things just kiss their butt because mm-hmm. we aren't we yeah i don't know if you heard we did a whole show ripping on gene and paul and kiss online for the entire fiasco around the destroyer box set mm-hmm. and you know I, I so i mean we can be very critical yeah do you, do you think they'd be a tough interview in the in the sense that you know, they don't necessarily go down as deep as like you guys go. A lot of times they're scripted. They're, they come on when they want to sell something. Would they be a tough interview, you think, to have on? You know, we always get asked, 
do you why why haven't you or do you want like Gene and Paul on? And I mean, hey, if they if they wanted to come on, of course we'd be happy to have them on. But my feeling is, and this comes from having worked with them and actually have done interviews with them, mm-hmm. you know, many times over the decades, you're not going to get anything other than most likely you're not going to get anything other than the normal stories. Right. You know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we're realistic in going, you, you know, Gene or Paul is not going to come on here and all of a sudden one day reveal some great truth that's never been discussed before. You know, they're going to do that on some major news outlet that's going to get them a ton of coverage because let's be honest, even though we get a lot of listeners on our podcast, they're all, they're all Kiss fans. We don't, you know, you don't need to sell our listeners on Kiss. They're already sold. They're already fans. They already know what the band is doing. So, you know, they're more interested in getting the people who are casual fans who aren't familiar with Kiss and bringing them into the Kiss Army. So, yeah, I mean, it, again, it would be fun to have them on for an interview, but I just don't expect that you're going to be able to get them to open up and reveal some amazing story or tidbit or reveal some incredible news. I mean, it's not it's not like they're going to come on three sides of the coin and tell everybody where the last Kiss show is going to be. Right. I mean, that, that would be ridiculous for us to think that. I'm sure you saw this thing that Bruce Kulik did. He did a nice 30-year video of Revenge, and, and he seemed to remember a lot of you know specific stuff about guitars he used and effects he used. And I feel like maybe with him, it was like you know that was kind of still early in his Kiss life, where like for them that was you know they were in their headed in their third decade. You know what I mean? So maybe for certain band members, these things stand out more than they do for Paul and Gene. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've had Bruce on many times. I mean, and again, I love Bruce. I don't expect any band member in active or past member of KISS to really come on and reveal or dish anything. They're just not going to. And and we're not going to push them to do that. You know, Bruce will come on and promote something, and, 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 that, and that's all fine, but, you know, I think it's just foolish to think that, oh, you know, you get you get Bruce or Eric or Tommy to come on and they're going to all of a sudden reveal what's really going on in Kiss. Right. Like, it's not going to happen. You get that from people who worked with and no longer work with Kiss. You know, that, that, you know when you get the people who work for management companies and toured with them and record labels, they're the ones that are going to reveal the things that we've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Do you think that some of these guys who have been, you know, replacement members through the years, if they haven't done one already, maybe we'll do a book down the road. Maybe like real down the road, but when maybe when Gene and Paul pass away, do you think they'll ever put out some stuff that was like really, you know, that the fans don't know? What do you think? Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Bruce, Eric, Tommy all write a book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things in the music industry is people don't write books until they no longer are working. Right, right. <laughs> you don't want to write a book and then try and get a job because you might have pissed somebody off by what you said <laughs> in the book and now you've been blacklisted. Right, right. So, you know, uh, you know, Doc, I'm sure will be writing a book. 
but none of these people are going to write and release a book until Kiss is done. Where do you see this band going? I mean, we all know this band doesn't have a lot of life left in them, you know, for for what they're doing today. What do, I mean, maybe they got a year or two left. After that happens, though, where, what do you see them doing? Do you see them doing, like, convention things again, smaller things? What do you see in their future? What I see is this is the end of Gene and Paul, actually Gene, Paul, Tommy, and Eric. It's the end of those four touring as Kiss. Mm-hmm. Kiss isn't over, and Kiss will never end. Um, and and it's quite possible that the members of Kiss will do a residency, will do special shows, special appearances. But the the gruel of going on the road for two years touring is done. Mm-hmm. Gene and Paul aren't going to do that. And I think I had read somewhere that Tommy and Eric said, if if Gene and Paul don't tour, they're not touring as part of KISS either. So I, I see KISS continuing, just not as an active touring band. Again, there could be a residency that's easy to deal with. Mm-hmm. There'll always be KISS product. There's always going to be KISS releases coming out. And and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and form a KISS 2.0 mm-hmm. with four brand new members in the makeup and see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've talked about it a million times. So, yeah, it's it's probably going to happen. I mean, I can't see them not trying it. I mean, KISS has become a brand. Whether people like it or not doesn't matter. KISS has become such a brand that's become bigger than the band itself. And no other band has ever had this opportunity to basically see if they can continue on with newer, younger versions in the band to keep this band forever active. You know, this is, this is, this is new territory for any band out there. And it, it's possible for kiss because of the makeup, mm-hmm. you know, yep. you don't have to have people that literally look the same. You put makeup on and from the audience, it looks like a demon, a star child, a spaceman and a cat man on stage although it could be completely four different people. Yeah, most definitely. Michael, tell us a little bit about what you do for bands. I mean, you're involved uh, outside of your podcast and like doing media and promotion for other bands. Talk about that a little bit. Um, I've got my own company, Michael Brandvold Marketing, and I basically provide online marketing, social media marketing, album release marketing, tour marketing for musicians and bands. And it could be small, independent, unknown bands, and it could be big, known bands. I mean, you know, as we talked earlier, got interrupted in a phone call because Blackie Lawless was calling. I'm working with Wasp right now. They've got their 40th anniversary tour. I'm helping run, uh, basically revitalized all of their social media, their website, um, their marketing efforts to promote this tour. But, you know, I could work with clients and releasing albums, building their website, managing their social media. It, it can be anything that a band might need. And again, it could be anything from a small, never heard of band to, you know, Blackie Lawless and Wasp, who I'm working with. That's awesome, man. So, yeah, best of luck with everything with Wasp. I can't wait till it all unfolds. Huge Wasp fan, so I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it, 
it's a dream for me to work with them too. I mean, you know, I, I got the Wasp debut album when it was very first released. Saw Wasp open for Kiss on the Asylum tour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been a huge fan and, you know, I've got so much respect for Blackie. You know, I've been working with him for about a year now. I mean, the guy is, is super smart. Super, what a great conversationalist, amazing stories. You know, it's, it's a thrill to be able to work with somebody that as a as a kid I grew up loving his music. That's awesome. Well, hey man, it's the '80s glam metal cast, and if I I think it would just be not right if we didn't end talking about the look of '80s Kiss, all the different looks that they had. So if you had to gauge it, Michael, what would you say the worst look of the '80s for Kiss was? Well, I, I have to I would have to add to this Paul Stanley pretty much looked great throughout the age. <laughs> right. He fit right in. Because, you know, he he's a rock star. He dresses like a rock star. He acts like a rock star. Gene Simmons had the hardest time mm-hmm. throughout the 80s. Yep. Absolute hardest time because, you know, he's a demon. He's not, he's not a pretty boy. And <laughs> he doesn't know, he didn't know how to act out of costume. And, you know, saying that, Gene Simmons on the Asylum Tour was the most, you know, oh, my God, what was what was he look? He looked like Maud, basically, yeah. on the Asylum Tour. He, um, you know, he didn't look bad on, none of them actually looked bad on Animal Eyes, no. although Gene was wearing a wig because right. he had cut his hair to do movies. But Animal Eyes was fine. But, again, keep in mind, every band was going for that road warrior look right. at that time. Yeah. So that wasn't new. The uh, the asylum we talked about, Crazy Nights, they started to get a little bit more normalish looking. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which was fine. Hot in the shade. Uh, again, a little bit more normal looking. It wasn't the 80s, but the Revenge look, I think they nailed it. Yeah, I mean, it, when I Revenge came out, they sadly that was their last album without makeup, but they also looked the absolute best yep. out of makeup on the Revenge album. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I know Asylum is bad, especially for Gene. You know, when Gene's wearing pearls and all that kind of stuff, it just doesn't work. But something about Lick It Up that look drives me crazy too. I, I feel like it's they're kind of confused. You know what I mean? They're like they're they don't know what the hell to do, and it, it just looks like a hodgepodge of you know Quiet Riot and Death Leopard and whatever was going you're, you're on. Definitely, so. You're definitely right about that. I mean, I I I cut them slack on Lick It Up because. That was literally, they went from Creatures of the Night, which was one of their coolest makeup yep. costumes, to lick it up, you know, within a year of no makeup. Even though Paul was the most comfortable out of makeup, none of them immediately were, like, understanding how to dress. I mean, lick it up, they had as much regular makeup on, rouge and lipstick yes. and <laughs> eyeliner. That that it was just like yeah you could you could see they quickly evolved out of that lick it up costume to animalize um, it, it, it you know they had they you know I at least I know on animalize they've gotten themselves a professional uh, stylist right but you know a, a professional wardrobe all that other stuff so lick it up was just you know it was a challenge. 
that was brand new for them. They, you know, one day you're on stage, a monster and a demon, and the next day you're like an average person that's shopping at a rock star shop that every kid should could shop at. Yeah, it was definitely weird. Yeah, um, there was an oh, Animalize. The thing about Animalize, I think a lot of us who were into eighties Kiss really gravitated to Animalize Live. So I feel like, even, like you said, Gene's got a bad wig, and maybe it's not the greatest outfits they've ever had. But something about that whole concert, the stage wraps, the look. There's something about it that's just classic. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, again, it was it was an MTV concert. And that, I remember, I mean, that was a huge deal. Oh, my God, MTV is is not only paying attention to KISS, but is putting on an entire concert of KISS. And, you know, KISS wasn't getting recognition like that. Mm-hmm. You know, once, once unmasked it all the way even through some of Lick It Up, KISS was not getting a lot of recognition and attention. And and when Animal Eyes hit, Heavens on Fire exploded, the video was all over MTV, and then the concert came out. That was a great time to be a KISS fan. Yeah. It was like, you know, you, you, you got to sit back and go see my band kicked ass, they're still here, and everybody else is jumping on the bandwagon now. But I've always been here. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think you know. I think for the '80s, probably hot and sh- hot in the shade was probably you know it was pretty cool. It was decent, but when you got to Revenge, that was that was their best look. And, and you know, Revenge just had its birthday the other day. And you know, I think when you look back at Revenge, everybody can say, okay, yes, it's you know, I don't know if it's their greatest album or anything like that, but at least the look and the vibe and the sound had an edge. You know, again, you know, and uh, it didn't look, yeah. yeah, they didn't look like just rich guys playing rock they look they look more like badasses and it was a cool time to be a kiss fan in 92 yeah you know revenge everything came together on revenge sadly it was when grunge took off so it it didn't matter how good it was right right it it was it was it was going it was going to be ignored because grunge had taken hold and you know every band was fighting that same battle, not just Kiss. Because, I mean, you, you, you know, just a couple of years earlier on the Hot in the Shade tour, Kiss was a huge. Yeah. Tours were selling, shows were selling out. They were all over the place. And, you know, and, he, and, and listen, I'll, I'll, I'll admit this. I mean, Hot in the Shade is, is n- not one of my favorite albums at all. It's mm-hmm. a very, in my opinion, poor album. Revenge is a great album. It just, happened too late yeah they there's nothing kiss could have done at in 92 to save themselves from grunge no. they had to put the makeup back on just like just like with creatures of the night it couldn't creatures of the night was such a great album but it wasn't going to save kiss from all of the stereotypes that people were looking at Kiss as a makeup band. Mm-hmm. They had to take the makeup off after Creatures of the Night. They had to put the makeup back on after Revenge. Yeah. Well, at least they had a card to play. <laughs> Not a lot of other 80s-type artists had, had that card to play, so they got lucky. Oh, no. You're, you're 100% right. I mean, uh, you know, taking the makeup off saved Kiss. Putting the makeup back on saved it again. Pretty, pretty clear cut. 
for sure. Michael, man, hey, it's been great talking to you about all this stuff. Uh, anything you want to say to, to your listeners out there? Um, you know, I will just add Crazy Nights is one of the best Kiss albums released, period. <laughs> it's, easily, it's easily in my top five Kiss albums. There's, I love Crazy Nights. <laughs> And that'll piss a lot of people off, that but I don't care. That I will. think it's a great album. Man. You know what's crazy is how, bad, how Unmasked takes a lot of heat. You know, Unmasked had a birthday as well. And, uh, you know, sometimes, even Dynasty, you put stuff out there about those albums, and some people are just so against those two albums. I love both of them. Though. You know, I, I've grown to love Unmasked more, but as we so often say in the show, timeline is everything. Mm-hmm. And when... I was a Kiss fan, and Unmasked came out. That was just, I, I couldn't stand it. I hated it. I'm like, oh, my God. First, we got Dynasty, which was moving away from hard rock and Kiss, because Rock and Roll Over is my absolute favorite album. And But Dynasty was not bad, but it was starting to change. Starting, yeah. And then, then, you got, then you got Unmasked, and I was like, oh, my God, this is just so pure and you know as a fan back then you know you were battling other styles of music it's like you know kiss rules pop music sucks disco music sucks you know mm-hmm. new wave music sucks and when kiss was going that those directions i was like oh my god i just i, I bought the album but i just i couldn't I couldn't handle it back then. Mm-hmm. And and now I can look back at it and go, okay, I appreciate it and I get it more. But, you know, if you were a fan back then, that was tough because you got to remember what was going on in the metal world while Kiss was becoming soft pop music. You know, you got Iron Maiden exploding and yeah. Van Halen exploding yeah. and... Ozzy's coming out, you know, it's like, boy, it's tough to be a Kiss fan back then. Really tough. Yeah, totally out of touch with everything that was going on, you know. And what's weird is they had a lot of those bands open for them in 79. So it's like, why were they not picking up on it? (laughs) I I know, you know, it, 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 it was tough. And, you know, but I like to think we wouldn't have gotten an album like Creatures of the Night without them right. having done Dynasty Unmasked and Elder. I mean, they had to they had to lose touch with who they were in order to sit down and go, oh my God, we've got to go back to our roots. Yeah. You know, and the cool thing about Kiss back in the day was that they were always, they had a new thing to put out the next year. So even if something was a, a total flop, they had another offering coming around next year. You know, and it, and what's what really hits me as weird, and I think about this all the time, you know, we're in such a fast-paced society where people want things and want information so fast. But it seems like now, like for bands, we wait years and years and years, and maybe we'll never get another new album from certain bands. But at least back in the day, man, that was when they were in their creative mode and they were pumping out an album every May or every September. I mean, that was that was those were good times. Oh yeah, I mean, I I so I look back so fondly at being able to say I was a fan of Kiss when they were an active recording band, where you're like you said. You knew every year or every two years there was going to be a new tour and a new album and new yep. costumes and a new look. And it was exciting and the anticipation. And, uh, you know, that was 
that's 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 gone for almost not just Kiss, but actually for most fans now. Yep, that's gone. Yeah, it's super super sad. Well, Michael, awesome talking Kiss with you, man. I, I encourage everybody to go check out Three Sides of the Coin if you've never watched. It's a it's a great podcast. A lot of cool in depth Kiss stuff. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. We we have a lot of fun, you know, and we love all Kiss. We love seventies, eighties, nineties, and two thousand. So um, we don't we don't play favorites to any era of Kiss. Awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good night. All right. Take care, Mike. Yeah, Bye. Talk to you later. Well, that was great talking with Michael. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Rock on!